You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I've been practicing exclusively divorce and family law for the past 16 years. Everyone has a story. I interview them. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for you to hear inspiring stories from people who are making hard decisions, overcoming their fears, and living their most authentic life. Hey, everybody, you're watching Wake Up Call Live. We're back with another roundtable series, and today we are talking about something maybe a little more lowbrow than some of my other episodes. We're talking about the Meghan and Harry Netflix documentary because people seem to have some very strong opinions about the documentary, about Meghan, about Meghan and Harry. So I want to hear what you all think. And joining me today on my panel is Jennifer Armstrong, a face you've seen before. She practices divorce and family law in New Jersey. Kristen Henninger, she also practices divorce and family law in New Jersey. Judith Deleuze Montgomery, who does family and immigration law in Atlanta, Georgia, and Laura French, the mom lawyer. She does estate planning, business strategies, and intellectual property law. And I don't even know where the heck you are, Laura. What state are you in? I'm in Georgia. I'm in Watkinsville, which is just outside of Athens. Okay. So Georgia and New Jersey representing today. Did not do that on purpose, but here we are. So tell me guys, I know you all watched the documentary, the whole thing. So hopefully our viewers did too. And if they didn't, maybe we will um, inspire them to watch it. But what did you all think? what did you think? How did you think that Megan and Harry were presented in this documentary? You can fight over who goes first. Um, well, I'll start. Oh, go ahead. Well, look, I was going to say that I thought it was an opportunity for them. I think what I think that they have the right to share their story because people uh, talk about them on a consistent basis, uh, use them for clickbait all day, every day. And so this is their opportunity to say, hey, this let's tell you guys what the experience was for us from our point of view and from our standpoint. Um, and so I think that that's only fair that they had the opportunity to do that. I don't totally agree. I think this was a really smart move on their part to present their side of things. You know, they sat back for a very long time, taking a lot of heat from the media. And I think um, this was their opportunity to give their point of view. I think that they presented it in a pretty well-balanced way. And I really love that um, one of the things that they did was they pulled the curtain back and they told you about how some of these things work with the establishment and these communication offices for the royal family, that this was really more about them versus the media, not so much the royal family, but that they did show you that there was some small connection there. And now moving forward, whenever you see one of these hit pieces on them, you really have to ask yourself, is this a story that the media has made up about them or is this something planted by the establishment, which I thought was really great and puts the royal family and the establishment on the back foot. So I really thought that they um, took that opportunity and did it in a way that was not overly 
um, you know, hostile, that really was well balanced and kept the focus on here's the truth. This is our truth. And this is really a love story. And all of you haters, this is how these things work. And if you think you're going to continue to do this in the future, well, let us give you some things to think about. Um, and so I think that was really smart. I agree with that. What so I came in, uh, first of all, I love the Royals. I love England. I love, you know, so uh, since I was a little girl, loved Princess Diana, everything. So I was very much looking forward to this docu-series. And they annoyed me a little bit, Harry and Meghan. And I like them, but they annoyed me, like how their demeanor was. I, I found them to be a little bit... Um, the whole H&M, you know, that kind of got on my nerves after a while. But I found them to be sincere. I found them to be genuine. I found them to be, they definitely have a love for each other. And as much as certain things annoyed me about them, I also found it eye-opening. Um, and it really made me change my perception on certain things that I may have believed about the royal family or thought about the royal family, particularly Prince William. And it, it definitely changed the way I think about things after watching this. I want to hear more about that, but Laura. Yeah, um, I agree with everything um, that each of you has said. I, I want to pick up, I'm Team Diana. I was 10 years old when they got married and my mother woke myself, myself and my little sister up in the middle of the night to cuddle up on the sofa bed and watch it. Um, I, I hear Christina, what you're saying about their demeanor. I think the trauma that Megan has been through makes her very guarded. That was one of my big takeaways. Mm -hmm. um, I think when you see her, and Harry, for that matter, in more of um, what I would call a natural environment where they're out, you know, with their friends or they're doing, um, you know, works around the world, you see a more natural presentation from them. Um, and trauma changes people. That was one of the themes that I really noticed throughout this. Um, I, I think we all read people for a living. <laughs> no matter what area of law we work in. And so I'm just really interested in, in all of your perspectives. Another real takeaway that I had from the series is, um, you know, picking back a little bit on what, what Jennifer said, not just the context within the royal family and the media. I was really fascinated and frankly educated by the historical background of the British Empire. Um, that was very, I think, moving and compelling to me, as well as the timing of their relationship vis-a-vis -vis Brexit and the politics at the time. And mm -hmm. I thought those were two important things I did not expect from this documentary at all. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm with all of you, um, but it doesn't seem like there's anybody here that, you know, I've been sort of calling the Megan haters, but there is there anybody here that, it sounds like there's not, that Megan just grates on you for some reason? So I, I will tell you, I, I listened to um, her podcast, Archetypes, and I don't really understand the people who have the positions they have with respect to her 
after listening to that because I agree with what um, some of the other panelists have said that you know you, this is a docu docu series you know they knew they were being filmed that kind of thing but Christina you know from doing your podcast and everything at some point as you're doing a podcast you're interviewing other people your true self and your true feelings and your true views are going to come to the forefront you can't you know you can only keep up a facade for so long and so um after listening to the her podcast episodes and listening to her personal views on many things and then watching this docu-series it really befuddles me as to why people have such strong negative opinions about her because i really do think that's just who she this is who she is she's presenting and showing you who she is i don't know this other person that these other people keep you know trying to make her out to be this manipulative person who wants to take down the royal family like i'm not getting that and then you have to ask yourself, well, why are people having such a strong opinion about her? And yeah. why is she being treated so differently than, say, Kate Middleton? You know? Yeah, um, that's the part that I find so perplexing. When I watched the documentary, I you know, thought it really gave them an opportunity to, to be able to finally respond to so many things that were being said about them in the media. and that was their response. And I did learn a lot about how the media works there that I didn't know existed. I didn't know that there was this sort of agreement between the press and the firm or whatever they, the business, whatever they call it. Um, and how the firm really failed to protect them, but only because they were protecting William, who's going to be king one day. That's and, it. you know, we haven't heard anybody deny that those things are true. Um, so it seems to me that that family never really, they don't get to be human ever. It doesn't seem that way. I, <clears throat> I agree with you. I have followed them for years. So I did know about the agreement. Um, I do remember either watching another documentary, but I do remember because it was a big issue when she was having um, Archie and whether she was going to, what hospital she was going to have him at. And, you know, she, was she going, were they going to come out, present, you know, the baby a few hours after she had delivered the baby. And there was this big talk about which hospital she didn't want to do at the hospital that they wanted her to do it at. She didn't want to, you know, come out to do the photo shoot um, and the interview the day, you know, the day of the delivery. And then it really, and then it gave you some historical viewpoints on, you know, Kate did it, you know, the queen did it, Diana did it. And it was like, it was an expectation that you would do the same thing. And she was just like, no, I, I, I just had a baby. I mean, you know, I'm bleeding from here to there. I'm in excruciating pain. I can't walk in, you know, six inch heels. You know, give me a couple of days to get my bearings. And yeah. it just seemed that they just would not give her a break or a chance. It didn't matter. It, it seemed like it didn't matter what she tried to do. They were going to use her as a scapegoat um to um embarrass her to humiliate her and then that extra layer of her being half black you know um they were going to be able to pinpoint that as a reason for vitriol and hate to be spewed it, it really appeared that that's what the media was after and it did seem that 
they didn't they did not try to protect her it's very clear even when she went to them and say hey can i just go away for a yeah. while can we go to canada you know please help me and they were like no you're going to stay you're going to get I think it's easy to believe that that happened because anybody who's watched The Crown knows they did the same exact thing to Diana. Same thing. Yeah. And, you know, the queen, I mean, God, she was queen for forever. Yeah. Right? Like 70-something years. So she was around during that time, and it was kind of the same. You know, she kind of oversaw the family over those years in the same way. Same way. Um, there was really and this Diana, overarching mentality. I'm sorry to cut you off. Overarching mentality of this is the way we've always done things. Yes. So this is how we're going to do yeah. it. And you're if you're not going to get with the program, we're going to bully you. Yeah. We're going to force you to get with the program, i.e. we're going to take away your security. We're going to cut you off financially. Mm -hmm. We're going to leak where you want to move to and what you want to do. Um, they very much did not want to give Harry and Meghan this one foot in, one foot out option. There was no compromise. Yeah. You, you know what's interesting to me, and and, and y'all have picked up on it a little bit, but it's throughout the, the documentary, is this concept of power and agency and where it and how it's being used. You know, Harry and Meghan um, used his inheritance to basically flee the country in, in some ways um, and get out of an untenable situation where I think it's perfectly reasonable for anybody to believe their lives were at risk based on the documented death threats. Um, they needed to be safe, not just physically, but mentally. And, you know, talking about the press, the Rhoda and this, you know, weird, I don't even know what to call that, toxic relationship between the royal family and the press, I think the royal family missed an opportunity to use their power, Absolutely. especially after the beloved Queen Elizabeth died, yeah. to, to make some changes. Um, they missed the opportunity when, when Meghan and Harry were in crisis. They missed the opportunity, you know, in the last three months the the whole idea that they're not using their power to make things different and better. Well, it seems that I, the explanation that I got from the documentary was that William and Kate, you know, their people, their handlers, their communications team was allowing the media to attack. Basically they were trying to keep William's reputation clean at the expense of Meghan and Harry. So it was kind of like, well, let's let them, you know, throw them to the wolves in li almost literally, you know, that's even what they said in the docu-series is they threw us to the wolves so that William and Kate could be the darlings, the media darlings. Well, there and, was some jealousy there. Yeah, that's what they said. And I, you know, I, I don't think that's hard to believe. You know, I think the same thing happened in the past with Diana and Charles. Mm -hmm. Charles was jealous of the attention and the adoration that Diana got from the public. And it seemed like there was some of that happening again. 
Exactly. But the royal family treated, or, or the way the press, the royal family and their relationship with the press treated Diana the same way 30 years ago, how they did with Meghan, because Diana was bucking the system as well. Mm -hmm. She was going um, and, and hugging AIDS patients mm -hmm. when in the 80s, that was completely taboo. People didn't know how you were, how AIDS was being transmitted. And she was going in and hugging and touching AIDS patients, and they were horrified by that. Um, and then you know, she definitely had mental health concerns going on. She was very vocal after her divorce that about postpartum depression, about, you know, there were certain things how she was suicidal at, um, during times in her life. And there were definitely things that they could have, um, especially with Harry and William having a mental health campaign for a while because of their mother. Um, the royal family missed the opportunity with Diana, but then missed it again with Meghan because she also expressed that she had postpartum depression. She felt suicidal during times with her pregnancy because of what was going on and because of the hatred from the media, from the British media against her. Yeah, definitely a lot of history repeating itself, but I want to kind of... Um voice to you guys some of the things i have heard from the megan haters since we don't have megan haters here i can call them that laura <laughs> hopefully she'll come back um so what i've heard from people is one and you guys must have heard this too is if they wanted to get away from the public eye why in the hell do they have a documentary it's like you know they find that as evidence that they're liars you know what do you guys but, think but that in and of itself is untrue they have said and i think they bring it up in this docuseries that they never said they wanted privacy you know they wanted to control the flow of information about them and their lives and that's very different than saying we want to be private we don't want to share anything with you you know the the idea here is my understanding is that if you are a member of the royal family and you are on the public payroll, then your life is an open book. They are they get to have those pictures. They get to follow you around. You know, William and Kate are now trotting out these poor kids every chance they get at every event and everything, that that is just an expectation. So when you don't want that to be the case and you don't want to make your life an open book and you want to control that flow of information, which is what I understand Harry and Meghan wanted to do, the media, of course, has now jumped all on that. And, oh, you're not going to play ball with us. We're we're going to make up this story, that story. But again, the actual basis of this whole, we want privacy, they never said that. That's that's not true. Yeah. And, and I would just add, they get to share what they want to share. I mean, that that's kind of the beginning and the end of it to me. Period. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's it. That's yeah. And then, you know, we had started to talk about this before we went live, and I want to continue that conversation is, a lot of the vitriol is directed at Megan specifically. It's like not Harry, of course. You know, Laura, you said something interesting when I pointed that out. But it's interesting to me that all of the hatred is and blame, not that there's even any blame to be made, but people are doing it, blame towards Megan. That, you know, here she's like the siren that just swooped in. Uh, oh, another thing I hear all the time is she knew what she was getting herself into. I disagree with that. And I want to talk about that too, but that she just swooped in, you know, cast a spell over Harry, lured him away from the royalty. And, you know, I don't know, even know if she's a gold digger, whatever she is, you know, fill in the blank. But I find that perception to be so extreme. And I 
I really don't know where that comes from. It's an old playbook, right? We had Wallace Simpson. We have the divorcee American who swooped in and um, I forget what his name was. Edward, was it Edward? Who yeah, I think it was Edward. Um, to be with her. Again, they are living centuries ago <laughs> here, pulling up things, you know, and, and yeah, I think that's what it goes back to. I think it goes back to here's this American. She's an easy target. She's a divorcee. She's a person yeah. of color. The media could not stop um, commenting on, you know, mixed race, mixed race. You know, why did that have to be put out there? You know, you look at Megan, you can tell she's mixed race. You don't have to advertise that. You don't have to, um, drill that point down. And then again, to what Laura had said earlier, you know, we're at a point in time here where things are so um, complex and we've got this fringe of society that is leaning towards a more conservative way of life that sees on certain things and want to take, uh, take advantage of that, that I think she was just the perfect scapegoat for some people and the perfect villain or you know, evil doer to to paint in this whole whole thing, and it's, it's well, really unjust. I'll, I'll add to that, Jennifer, because I think that at the end of the day, I think that the underlying tone that we're we're forgetting or we're not forgetting is that racism is alive and well, mm -hmm. and it's real, and and it's and I think that Megan probably didn't know that and didn't know to what extent um, because you know. Being here in the U.S. or in Canada, it didn't seem that she had a difficult upbringing. She was raised by a black mom. Her dad is white, but her posture was that she was of mixed race. And there's another layer to that because I think there was comments that was made by Megan recently where she said that she had never been treated like a black woman, even though she was a black woman. And we can get into colorism, but we're not going to do that today. But I just want to make it clear that I don't think that she realized to what magnitude. I think that she thought her great looks, her intelligence, she's well-spoken. She carries herself well, and she's been able to get by in life for a good 38 years prior to going to England. And so I think she thought that that could carry her through, not realizing that there is an underlying tone in these media outlets that there is still racism still deeply seated in there. And it wasn't until she married into that family that she really saw that it was there. And whether we want to acknowledge it or not, I think that the firm, there's still some deep seated racism there too. Um, and I think whether we want to acknowledge it or not, I, we don't know who said what color is the baby going to be, but somebody said it. Um, and there's there's some ignorance going on even within the firm, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. And so I've never been a fan of Charles, never, because I'm fan team Diana all day. So, you know, and then his harlot is now the queen. I'm blown away by that. Um, but so for me, I've never been a fan of Charles, but this right here, the way that he's allowing this to posture and go on at the end of the day, this is still your son, even if he's not heir to the throne. And so the things that he's allowed to go on, I put the blame on him. I do. I put the blame on him. 
But I think that there's an underlying tone of racism within the firm that allowed them to throw Megan or let Megan be thrown to the wolves. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Judy. You know, she's in the eyes of the, the British press and those who want to be haters. She's black. She's an American. She's a woman and she's an actress and therefore cannot have any value or substance. And she's divorced. And she's divorced. I forgot that. Um, I, I'd like to talk a minute about Charles and William and Harry. And, you know, as an estate planning attorney, I've, I've kind of tried to think about if they were in front of me, you know, if this family were in my office, what are the things that I would be addressing? You know, you ladies who are divorce attorneys are going to look at it, you know, from a family law perspective. There is so much broken in this family in terms of their relationships. It's, you know, the lack of really, I think, caring for, for Harry and, and probably William as well. When Diana died, I mean, you can see it on Harry's face in the footage and the photos and the clips that they shared, you know, during his teen years and early adult years. Um, the... Harry talks about being betrayed. He uses that word over and over and over again in the documentary on Netflix. And there, there's just a lot there for those three men to come to grips with at some point if they're ever going to have a relationship. Um, you know, the things that popped out at me that I could imagine hearing from clients are I gave William our mother's ring, because that was our deal. Whoever got married first was going to get the sapphire ring. And now look what he's done to me. You know, those are just, those are things that I hear in my office. Um, I don't know if, if any of the rest of you have those kinds of experiences, but it's, it's seemingly small things that build and pile up over time and snowball. And, and here we are. I, you know what? I don't think, um, I think we hear similar things in family law too, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, what you're hearing there is resentment. Yes. You're mm -hmm. hearing about unfulfilled expectations. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know if we can delve into that too much during this, uh, this sure. conversation, maybe another day, but I think, um, you know, most families have some relationships like this, right? Like somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, there's everybody's got that's what we go to therapy for. Right. To talk about you know, what our moms did to us or didn't do or, you know, what dad did or whatever. Um, but it all really comes from not having certain expectations fulfilled, you know, giving things to people in our family, giving up things for them mm -hmm. and not getting what you think you're entitled to in return for that. Mm -hmm. And most people, we probably don't talk about those things. Right. Like, right. I don't know if we sit and say, well, you know what? I'm going to give up my career for you. And in return, I expect you to give me X, Y, and Z. I think a lot of times we don't talk about those things. And then there ends up being resentment. I, I bet you see all the time in your practice, um, anybody who does estate litigation, you know, one kid gave up their life to take care of a, a dying parent or an elderly parent had them in the house, did, did everything, you know, brought them to the doctor's appointments and all of that. The other kids didn't do much besides visit on Thanksgiving. Right. But they all want to be equal in the will. Right. And, you know, I don't have any real opinion about that, but oftentimes we see it happen that the, the caretaker gets 
the estate or a larger portion of the estate and all the other kids are flip out. Um, you know, there's never a discussion about that, but it's all based upon expectations. It is. So I'd love to be a fly on the wall at <laughs> Buckingham Palace or wherever the heck they all live. Um, but um, I know I'm kind of all over the place, but like, if you watch The Crown, you know, assuming it's all accurate, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I think a lot of it is um, has been vetted. But, you know, Charles over the years indicated that he wanted the firm to kind of be more modern, you know, and that that they were stuck in the dark ages. And I thought that this would be a good opportunity for him to be able to do that, to make it more modern. But he didn't. Um, so what what are you guys getting from everything that you've seen as to what the real, um, you know, discord is in the family? That I think it's, uh, for, for, from my perspective, I think Harry's the favorite. I, I think he's the better looking. We, we love a good gender, you know, and um, I think it's always, more fun. Right? <laughs> I think it's always been like that. I think Carrie has been the more liked of the two, the more the one that people feel like they can relate to. Mm. Um, and I think that it, there was some jealousy there. I really genuinely think between the two of them, even though one was an heir, but the folks really like the people. He was the people's champ, very much like his mom. And you hear people say that William is his father's child, where Harry is his mother's child. And I think you can really see that he has the heart that his mom had, um, his desire to help, his desire to get out there in Africa and spend time there, one of his favorite places, always saying that he knew that mom would end up in California. Um, you know, had, you know, had she been able to live out her life, you hear him say that and you hear that being mentioned. And I truly believe that's the case. And I think that that's the issue. I think that Harry was the liked one. And then he brings in this gorgeous, you know, American, you know, who's cast a spell on him because that's really what they were saying that, you know, he's too in love with her. You know, he's too enamored with her. And I think that together they became this power, this dynamic power couple. And it was very clear that you could see them kind of outshining and overshadowing Kate and boring William. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> well, I genuinely think that they saw what was happening, that the dark that that Harry and Meghan were becoming the darlings and they didn't like it. That's what that's what I get from that. I think too that the monarchy is all about protecting the establishment at all costs. Um, you know, selling stories to the media, and it wasn't mentioned in the docu series, which I thought was very classy of Harry and Meghan. There were two big stories going on when the hatred towards Meghan switched in the British press, which was one, William was having an affair. Yeah. And two, mm -hmm. Prince Andrew was on Jeffrey Epstein's island. So there were two really big stories that would have destroyed the modern monarchy. And I think they tried to hide that by throwing out these mm -hmm. stories. And I think what you got from Harry was that he really has this hatred for the establishment and this hatred for yes. the press. And I think it really stems from 
watching a 12 year old boy following his mother's casket. And that's, I mean, that's the image you always have of Harry, of this little boy walking behind his mother's casket. He wrote her a note, it said mommy uh, on her casket and he's following it and nobody stepped in to help him. He should not have been walking behind his mother's casket Mm -hmm. in front of millions of people. Um, And nobody helped him. And I think he remembers that and blames the press and blames the establishment for the death of his mother. Mm -hmm. And he said that no one ever talked to him about that, Mm -hmm. which is wild. It's it's crazy. I mean, I have a 12 year old, I have a 12 year old boy and there is no way my son would be emotionally able to handle something like that without speaking to a professional, a family member. He he was, he was left to his own devices at the age of 12. The whole family is just so damn repressed. I mean, that's that expression, the stiff upper lip. Did you, I don't know if anyone else had watched, um, I want to say it was either named, I think it was Elizabeth with Helen Mirren, where she was portraying Queen Elizabeth. And at the end of that movie there, and I, it's, it's subtle, depending upon whether you pick it up or not. Um, At the end of that movie, they go through, you know, the Royal family's response to the death of Diana. And really, you know, there's no response. There's no emotion. There's no anything. They have to be told to, to address the people and, and everything versus there's this stag on the property that is shot and killed and the and queen elizabeth goes to the hunting lodge or whatever to go you know see this stag she showed more emotion about a dead deer than your own daughter-in-law who's been killed and murdered by the um media paparazzi yeah, and it was so interesting. You, you call it a really interesting dichotomy there that you know where your priorities lie, and it's not not with you know your family and human emotions. It's like an old Victorian family that is not allowed to show any emotion. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you know our generation, generations after us, um, you know, the young kids today, they're encouraged to like men be emotional right you're allowed to cry you're allowed to show emotion and um you know i think sometimes we get on them we talk about millennials in the workplace but i think there's a lot of good things that they're doing that other generations just weren't allowed to do right like i mean we're seeing well, very- just i'm an i'm an old millennial so i'm the early 80s right um so there's another layer of millennialism that I think I'm a little bit more old school than new school in the sense of uh, work ethic, right? Because I think that there's a discussion about that as well, right? When you talk about work ethic. So I don't, but I do, I can tell you that for us, it's very much, I don't feel good. I need to go to counseling. I'm depressed. There, we're very vocal and open about uh, my self-care. Make, you know, did you do self-care this week when I have conversations with my girlfriends? Did you, did you spend that time dedicated to just you, focusing on you, making sure you're okay so that you can move forward? So I do think that our generation is a lot better and a lot more vocal than the conversations that I used to have with my mom 
right? Who doesn't come from a generation of you get to say how you feel, you get to be sad and you get to be depressed. There's a very different situation going on there. There's martyrdom. Exactly. A lot of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning that. <laughs> it struck me, um, Kristen, when you were talking, you brought up the Jeffrey Epstein thing and Prince Andrew. I had even forgotten about that, but boy, was that scandalous and still is. I mean, you don't see Andrew yes. anywhere. No, but and he's really gross. He is. And that interview he did was terrible, but it reminded me of an interview that Charles did many years ago was supposed yeah. to you know, be some kind of PR and and he was terrible too. I think it was right around the time he was getting divorced from Diana and he was sort of explaining why did Diana say that there were three people in the marriage and they just outright asked him if he had an affair and his answer, which was a non-answer, was just so bad. It just made him- No, he had to explain tampon gate. Oh, That's oh yes, yes. Explaining was the recordings that had come out between him and Camilla. So he had copped to the affair, had no choice but to. But what I found really interesting while everyone was, you know, ragging on poor Meghan and Harry here about the Oprah interview is look at all these other members of the royal family who had had done interviews seemingly to try to, uh, you know, reestablish their image. And they failed miserably. Okay. You had Charles. You had... Prince Andrew was the most recent. There was one with Fergie selling access to Prince Andrew. Um, they've all been abysmal and, and everything. Nowhere near what Harry and, and Meghan's interview was like. So why, again, why the disparity? Why was that so bad and everything? They want yeah. to say, well, why did they have videographers following them around and doing this? Well, you know why? Because someone was really smart and told them, you're going to need to defend yourself one day. You want to have proof. And P.S., the royal family back in the 50s or 60s or whatever did their own movie and their own, you know, reality thing, which P.S. has never seen the light of day again. You can sometimes find some clip, clips on YouTube, but they don't air it again because people thought the way they lived and their lifestyle was strange. It was bizarre. There was no fuzzy, warm feeling here between these individuals. Yeah. It Go kind ahead. of reminds me of the Kardashians doing um, a documentary, like trying to convince us all that they really have normal lives. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Laura, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm interested in this um, idea about who is accepted and protected and who's not. Um, you know, Queen Elizabeth made a point in the final year of her life to announce that she wanted Camilla to be queen consort. Team Diana is totally grossed out and opposed to it forever. Um, yeah. Charles yeah. is protecting his I brother. I think we all know who was in her ear about that. Like yeah. I think what was completely plotted by Charles. I think, you know, right. that could happen. Yeah, so she's protected Charles. Charles is protecting Andrew and William, and William's not protecting his brother. Yeah. You know, they're, and, and not only not protecting, but seemingly actively betraying him. And, and I think the Anderson Cooper interview Sunday is going to be primetime TV, as they say. Oh my gosh, I don't even know. I'm so out of the loop. What's happening on Sunday? He's on 60 Minutes with, with AC. William or Harry? Um, Harry. Harry. Ooh. 
the spare that I couldn't think of a, a better name for a book than that. It's outstanding. Well, you know yeah. what too? I mean, it, they're all, they're human beings, right? But mm -hmm. they're not allowed to be human beings. That That's really what it is. They're humans doing human things, make, including mistakes, human mistakes, where most of us, if we do something stupid, it's not televised, but they're not allowed to be human. And they're not allowed to feel they're you know if if it's you know if the monarchy decides well it's good for you to marry this person well you're just supposed to do that and you're supposed to like it and it's interesting to see with each generation who resists that i don't think it doesn't yeah. seem that william is yeah no He's and, I, and he actually mentions that he says you know i, I made the choice to not go with the establishment and not marry who they wanted me to marry or who they think I should marry. Like my brother, I went with my heart. And I want him. And so yeah. he, he can he continues to show us that he's really um Diana's son in that in that regard. But the other thing that um you mentioned that I wanted to kind of uh, piggyback on was the correlation between what we're seeing this season in the crown and all the stuff that Diana was going through. Um, I believe this was happening in the 80s and 90s. And for us to see it in real time happening to Megan, the exact same thing. And for there not to be some sort of uh, empathy or sympathy for her knowing that this is a repeated cycle, but also them, the establishment has shown time and time again that they do not protect the women. What's mind blowing about it is that she was on, she was on the throne for 70 years and she was a woman and she let all these other women go through these things and not protect them. And she got, and Queen Elizabeth got a lot of flack for what happened to Diana. So you would think that this time she would have tried to repair her image or not allow it to look like she allowed the same thing to happen. But she literally used the exact same playbook and gave Megan no protection. But the correlation is there as you're watching The Crown and what Diana is going through and what's happening in real time in 2021, 2022, 2023, it's mind blowing to me to watch that. And, and I just want to see us the missed opportunity here, and yeah. they touched on it a little bit in the docuseries. You have Commonwealth nations around the world that are largely made up of people of color, and you are not using your grant. Uh, granddaughter-in-law, uh, you know, you're not using Meghan and Harry where they could be most useful. You have other countries now that are trying to secede from the British. Absolutely. Empire. Absolutely. And so to piggyback on, on that, you know, a lot of the countries have started their secession because, and, 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 and just to be clear, it's because of the treatment of Meghan and Harry. Whether they want to acknowledge it or not, that is the reason. But I don't know if you guys remember um, or followed when William and Kate went to Jamaica mm -hmm. and what the treatment was of them there. Jamaica wasn't having it. Uh, if anything, you should have sent Mary and Megan, not these two, right? Is what was, and Jamaica was like, we're not having it. We're done with you guys. You don't have to come back here. 
that was their position. And they were very strong about it. They were in the streets. And so their reception was not very warm. And it, and for the establishment not to be able to see and acknowledge that, listen, you guys made a huge, huge error. You, you know, Kate and, and William work over here, but they're not going to work on these other islands. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen to Caribbean. Well, they treat the firm as a business. They talk about it as a business, but they re they need some real good business coaches. <laughs> so they, they might need something like how to manage a royalty or how to manage a royal family because they have all these factions and they're not working as a team. So yeah. if it truly is that everyone's concern is to, you know, preserve the integrity and the reputation of the monarchy, they're not doing a very good job of that. And it seems to me that they're all individually just very selfish. You know, what's good for me, which, you know, is human. You know, it's human to some degree to do that. But it's like, it seems like there's a lot of inconsistencies there. A lot of ego. Yeah, ego. Yeah. You know, we've seen it with Charles, I mean, for decades. Yeah. But again, not using this as an opportunity, as you've said, to to change things, to be, um, you know, more welcoming to- Ahead of the curve, you know? Yes, I mean- It's real, it's real, it's baffling to, to me why they would miss this opportunity and not look at the, op the, the positive opportunities that they had here and everything. If Harry and Meghan wanted to work for free and advance the causes and advance the message of the establishment and they were gonna do it for free and and continue to do it let them have that one foot in one foot out like who cares and everything all good we can all win here instead and and I, this is what i why i think this was so great um this docuseries was great as far as um looking at negotiation tactics and everything you know they took this all or nothing position here with Har harry and megan and it's backfiring tremendously uh, on them what do you say to the people that say Oh, Megan, she knew what she was getting into. How can she complain about it now? What do you say to that? I don't I think that. I mean, I think anytime you're married, you you have all the high hopes and you know, you know, you know you're marrying not just your spouse, but your spouse's family, but you don't know what that really means. You know, I mean, we'll be married 30 years this year. And I, I think if my husband were on this this program, he would say the same thing. We had no idea what we were getting into. No, I think, well, as divorce lawyers, we, we can vouch that right. most people don't know what they're getting into when they get married. But specifically with the royalty, I mean, some of the things I learned just here and there from the docuseries, from other things, from The Crown, that's been enlightening. How could you possibly ever expect most of that? You can't. You can't. You can't. Because I think that I I think that there's an issue, and I think that she wasn't able to separate Megan, wasn't able to separate that this is my this is my husband's grandmother. Mm -hmm. Because if you heard her say, you know, she didn't really have a close attachment, but she really wanted that familial bond. She wanted to be a part of the family. She wanted to, to make them proud. And you can tell that she really went out of her way to do that. But she, when she met Queen Elizabeth, 
you know, she said that she didn't even know that she had to curtsy. She thought that this was something that you do kind of out in the open. She didn't realize that even behind the scenes, you have a duty to curtsy to the queen and whoever is above you. And so the thing is, there wasn't someone should have been brought in to sit with her and train her like they did Diana so that she could know the ins and outs and, and how to speak and what to say and how to do it. And again, was a missed opportunity. And why Queen Elizabeth didn't think that that was necessary as the head of the firm is very confusing to me. But why she didn't defend them and didn't try to protect them was also kind of mind blowing to me because it was a missed opportunity. And 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 on from my perspective, it it taints her legacy. It it definitely yeah. taints her legacy the way she went out. I agree. I agree with that totally. And it was interesting to me that Harry had to make an appointment with his grandmother through Every her time. staff. Every time. He yep. couldn't just go knock on the door. Like I'm thinking when he said that, how he was supposed to meet with her and then it was just suddenly she was busy. I'm like, well, you can't just go knock on the door. She's your grandma. Right. But apparently you can't. You, can't. You, know, you know what I think is interesting is, is the idea of looking at the staff you know, we've talked about history repeating itself. I would love to see, you know, the HR role at Buckingham Palace for the last 70 years. And, and who is still there? Who trained, you know, the next person? Because their PR is terrible. I, any one of us on this call could do a much better job. Um, it, it's just a disaster. Um, and, and maybe the you know, the perpetuation of these missed opportunities and harms to the women in the family is in large part because they don't know to go hire new people. But um, if you look, it shows how they look at family, that you have to make an appointment to see family. Whereas you have somebody, our president, Joe Biden, who has said there's a standing order. If any of my grandchildren call, I'm to be interrupted. I don't care if I'm meeting with a dignitary, if I'm addressing Congress, if one of my grandchildren call me, you come get me. And it just shows the difference that the royal family, it's everything is a job you know, even family, mm -hmm. that you make an appointment to see your parents, you make an appointment to see um, your grandmother. I think in the, I didn't realize it, but in the crown, right after princess, right after Queen Elizabeth had Prince Charles, she went on a six month tour around the world and left her newborn with a nanny. That's right. And came home to like a nine month old. Yeah. Well, they I mean, who does children. that? <laughs> Nann nannies raise their children and then they go off to Boarding, stay away boarding school. That's right. At 13. Yeah. But they're not, it's almost like they're not even children. They're, they're just, they're just heirs. They're, they're just, you know, they're just put in line for succession to the throne. That's the only reason they even exist. Well, here's an interesting thing. I don't know if you guys know this, but, and I, and I don't know if it's been rewritten or not, but the, when the children are born, the children do not belong to the parents. The children belong to the firm. And so the person who gets to make the decision was Queen Elizabeth. She can right. make the decision on all of the children, not their parents. And that's written into whatever documentation they have. Now, I don't know if that was ever changed by her or not, but the understanding that I had the last time I heard, that is who was responsible for the kids. I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. You can I think like a word of the state. I think it did change with the Charles and Diana divorce. 
Okay. Because she specifically negotiated certain things with regard to custody of her children. Oh, okay. okay. Interesting. And I then Anne got divorced after that, and Andrew got divorced after that. So I think there was, after Charles and Diana, there was a whole succession of divorces with the royal children. Mm, gotcha. Well, that's interesting. So yeah, what do you think? What do you guys think is going to happen with Andrew? Are we ever going to see him again? Oh, he's so awful. He did the Christmas walk at Sandringham. Oh, he that did. Was a bone. That was a bone that Charles was throwing him because I think if he's forced to go out and make money because he's jobless and everything. And so if he's forced to go out and make money, I think he's going to make money like Harry and Meghan. And I think they're afraid of what he's going to tell. That's right. That's right. But they did put him he, 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 he's gonna sell baby corgis because he and Fergie took in those corgis and I'm a, I'm I'm convinced that they're gonna breed them and well Charles, Charles <laughs> the Royal Puppy Mill, Royal Puppy Mill. Charles <laughs> He did put him out of the office. He's he's completely out of the office. He doesn't have friends there anymore. They're done with him. The Queen did that, right? But couldn't Charles put him back in? No, Charles, no, Charles, Charles did. removed him. Just, oh, he did. Oh, okay. He just did okay. it. Like, a week I guess we know how he feels about that. <clears throat> Andrew was the queen's favorite. We learned that from the crown. Yeah. Oh, I missed that. I feel like I got to watch it all over again. Yeah. I'm still behind on this current yeah. season. Yeah. It really burns me up how they keep grouping Andrew and Harry together. You know? Yeah. Um, oh, they're not. They're, they're neither one is a working member now, so they can't wear their uniforms at the Queen's funeral. They can't this. They can't that. They're really not the same. Okay, one one was associated no. with you know a pedophile, and the other one just decided that he didn't want to go along with your program anymore. You know, I mean that really again, it's bizarre to me. Yeah, I I want to say like closing comments. I give so much credit to Harry. He's got huge balls. There's a joke there, but I'm not going to go there. Um, <laughs> he's got huge balls because, I mean, think about how hard and how ballsy that was for him to do that. I mean, think about most people like across America, how hard it is for them to go against the grain in their own families. And they're not celebrities, right? But he did it. I mean, he's royalty and he just, he left the family, left the firm and said, see you later. How hard must that have been? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that that was very ballsy of him, but I think that his back was against the wall and I don't really mm -hmm. think that he felt like he had a choice. He felt like this is, I, in order to save my wife's life, um, I have to leave and I have to protect her and I have to get her away from this because I'm not going to let them kill her the way they killed my mother. And yeah. that was his position. And, and yes. I wholeheartedly yeah. respect Harry even more so for making a decision like that because that was a very hurtful and difficult decision to make. And you hear him say there were snippets of the interview that's going to be out where he talks about he wants his father and his brother back. He doesn't want to have this division and fraction in his family, but he had a, he had to, to protect his wife. He had to protect his, and his children. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think if you, when you watched, after you watched the docuseries, you see that probably for the first time since his mother died, he had a family and he had somebody that supported him. And that was his wife, whether you like her or not, mm -hmm. I think she was his backbone. And that's something he probably hasn't had in 25 years. 
I want to mention who I think the unsung hero of the story is, and that is Doria. Yeah, oh, I love her. Yeah. Created, I mean, not only how she raised Megan, um, but that she created a safe home base for both of them. Yeah. And is, I just think she's remarkable. I, I wish more of her were in the docuseries. Yeah. Yeah, it was, certainly wasn't the dad. Oh, my God. No, no. What a piece of crap. Yeah, yeah, with Not For Nothing, I think also gave the establishment license to feed Megan to the wolves. Like, here's yeah. her own father, and so we can play this angle. And really did a disservice. You know, I mean, I thought so much better of Charles when he walked her down the aisle. And now it's like, well, gee, you know, you, you just undid that good deed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and now, you know, mm -hmm. that's how it is with Charles. You know, two steps forward, one step what, back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I'll, I'm very interested to see what Megan and Harry continue to do. I think um, they've got a long career ahead of them, doing a lot of wonderful things. I, so I, I'm curious to see it. I'll I'll be happy to watch and see what they end up doing. Um, but thank you guys for being on here. I can't believe it. Not one Megan hater. I kind of wanted at least one Megan hater to, you know, keep the keep the dialogue going. I because I, I can't understand what's in their heads, right? So I kind of wanted to try to understand better. But maybe yeah. you just gotta check out Piers Morgan's Twitter feed. I mean, <laughs> maybe on the next one. Um, but thank you so much for your time, ladies. And thank you for watching Wake Up Call Live. We'll see you next time. Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Thank you for listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com. And be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.